0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box podcast. This week we're joined by Yellow Box teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, In the Beginning. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m. 11.15 a.m. and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Has anyone here ever... Uh... Like dog sat or house sat before. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit terrifying to be honest, and uh, it's a little bit odd because they probably walked you through like a manual of instructions and things to do and not do. And um, there's a couple of horror stories that I could think of of my life, but the one that stands out the most is this. I was 13 years old, and uh, the house two doors down was a, a young couple, and they were planning to go to Germany uh, for a couple of weeks, and so they had asked. My family, they'd asked me specifically if I could mow the grass for them while they were gone. And I thought, this is great. This is my chance. This is my shot to show that I'm an adult. And so I went over and they were gonna pay me a whopping buck and a half a week or something like that. And and the man shows me this lawnmower, and it looked a lot like this. And he begins to describe in great detail. Things like a 13-year-old would never care to know. Like, did you know that John Deere Green was actually made in 1940? No one cares, it doesn't matter. But he began walking me through all the different nuances, all the different pieces, and then walked me through the yard, and you should cut this at a curve and cut this straight. I was like, okay, yes, I got it. And I was really diligent for about a week. And then I got a little bored with it, to be honest, so I began to kind of make it a bit of a game. So I would be seen in our little neighborhood in Dearborn, you could see me maybe doing like a little like dance or whatever, and whatever. I was kind of doing like some, uh, you know, like a nice little pivot move with the lawnmower, like this, and people would come and pay admission to watch me just mowing the grass. And and eventually, after some time, that didn't become enough. So what I did was I lowered all of the wheels so I could get the closest cut possible. Some of you are ahead of me, and I decided to carve my name into the front yard. Just a big I-A-N. Well, like most good horror stories, that night, we got a call from Germany that said their plans had changed, and that they were coming home the next morning. So my heart drops. I get the lawnmower out, and I'm trying to, like, mow over it, but it is not going away. And so they arrived home to see I-A-N carved into their pristine suburban lawn. And when I tell you that they were furious, that's an understatement. In fact, neighborhood kids saw that as sort of an invitation to, like, hopscotch in my name for the following three or four weeks. So if you were to drive down Dearborn, Michigan, you could see kids dancing in Ian on the front yard. (laughs) We're beginning a series, or we're in the middle of a series called In the Beginning, And what we want to talk about today is is not just simply God's dream for us, but also God's dream for his planet, for his creation, and the ways that you and I are called and charged to be a part of restoring that dream. So as we talked a bit about last week, God creates this beautiful world full of waterfalls and mountains, and he steps back and he says, oh, that is so good, and here's why this is so important for us this morning. Because as Christ followers, creation belongs to God, and we've been entrusted with it. Creation belongs to God, and you and I, we've been entrusted with it. This means that we're stewards, we're managers. Much like my terrible lawn mowing decisions, that wasn't my yard to begin with. I was entrusted with it, and we're, we see that here in the Genesis Account, But to speak of stewardship, we must speak of ownership. And to speak of ownership, we must speak of God. Everything on this planet has an owner, and his name is God. So what have we done with it? Anyone recognize this picture here? Does anyone know what that is? That is actually a picture of the North Avenue Beach here in Chicago after this past Memorial Day. In fact, park district officials were quoted as saying, you could hardly take a single step without walking on plastic of some kind. Often with empty trash cans right next to them. And you've probably seen pictures like this at venues in various parks, but here's the question that I want to raise this morning. Would God look at that and say, oh, that's good. That's very good. Here are a couple other sobering facts. Since 2000, over 34 billion gallons of raw sewage have been dumped into Lake Michigan. 34 billion gallons. A a lake, mind you, that um, is is drank by over 10 million people in the Chicagoland area. As Chicagoans, we're throwing away 300% more garbage than we did in the 1980s. This last fact here is sobering. A Chicago Tribune investigation revealed that people living in Chicago face the nation's highest risks for cancer, lung disease, and other ailments linked to toxic chemicals poured out from our industrial smokestacks. So I would ask again, when you hear that, when you see this image, when you ponder, what would, would God step back and say, oh, that's good. Now, I know that some of you, you probably already have a proclivity towards environmental care, and you this is already something that kind of makes your heart beat fast, and for Others of you, you, you perhaps couldn't care less. Maybe you were raised in a tradition that said, let the hippies and the tree huggers worry about it. I got spiritual things to talk about. Well, I, I want to contend this morning that how we care for the planet, how we see our interaction with this earth that God has given us is actually a deeply spiritual thing. Why? Because creation belongs to God and we've been Entrusted with it. So let's take a look at a really powerful passage here in Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now I don't want us to glaze past that, because I think it's easy for us to miss the power of what we're reading here. The universe is literally coming into existence as a response to God's word. He speaks it, and there it is. Mountains. Mountains. Trees, rivers, exploding with life and vitality and beauty. But as we talked about last week, though, when God makes humans, he does something different. He doesn't speak it. He gets down low and he forms. Out of the dust and dirt and then later out of the man's rib. He gets down and creates in his image and likeness. In theological terms, we call this the Imago Dei. That means that we are made in the image of God. And here's what that means for every single one of us this morning. Every person on planet Earth is created in the image of God, full of dignity, with unique talents and gifts to use for the glory of God. Novelist C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. What he's communicating that is we 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 are unique in this sense. God forms us and we bear his image. Has anyone ever heard the phrase you're the spitten image? Anyone heard that? Oh, you're the spitten image of your grandma. What that actually is is a merging of spirit and image. That's where we get spitten. That's an unfortunate contraction. But what they're sort of speaking in that moment is not just, oh, you have her nose or you have his Hairline, they're saying there's something about you within you that speaks to this person, and this is the idea of Imago Dei. Understanding that we're made then in the image of like this, I think has three, if not a whole lot more implications for us this morning. Uh, First, means that we're the unique reflection of God, we're different from the rest of creation. There's something about us that reflects the very nature of God. We talked about this last week that when we create, When we dream, when we build, there's a part of God that we are imaging. Number two, we're utterly reliant upon God. That's the breath in our lungs, but it's our nature, it's our character, it's our essence. It's derived from God. And thirdly, we're ultimately responsible to God. I think a lot of us like to think that we are in charge, right? But I think it's probably good for us to remember that we are not the creator. We are the created. And there is a creator who loves us and calls us to deep interaction. So God creates humans. He puts his image and likeness in this construct he's created. And then we pick it up here in verse 26. It says, Now let us, this is speaking of the Trinity. We talked about that last week as well, conceive a new creation, humanity, made in our image, fashioned according to our likeness. And let us grant them authority over all the earth, the fish and the sea. And the birds in the sky, the domesticated animals, and the small creeping creatures on the earth. As if to say, anything you can imagine, I'm giving you authority over. So God did just that. He created humanity in his image, created them male and female. Then God blessed them and gave them this directive. Be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth. I make you trustees of my estate. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? So care for my creation and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that roams across the earth. Something that's often missed in scriptures is that we think work came as a result of the fall, that we didn't work until sin entered the picture. But here we see what we call in theology the cultural mandate. It's God speaking to the man and woman. And he says, here, I'm giving you dominion, but I'm also giving you a responsibility, as if to say, we're partnering in this. This isn't just simply a garden for you to sort of sit back and enjoy. It's also for you to participate in. This is a beautiful, powerful invitation. And in this creation story, we see that the world was created by God, belongs to God, and exists for God. And we are called to be stewards of it. This means that theology and ecology are connected. They're deeply intertwined. Caring for creation is not just something for the hippies and the tree huggers. This is something for every single one of us. Now, now here's the hard reality, and some of you are probably sitting there thinking this this morning. A lot of us likely wrestle with some serious apathy when it comes to creation care. My guess is that there's a lot of us that just don't simply see our role as stewards. You can say, I I hear what you're saying. Uh, I see what you're talking about. Um, I just don't care. I don't see it that way. So I'd like to actually dive into a book that's everyone's favorite book of the Bible, and it's called Leviticus. Uh, When was the last time you like curled up with some hot tea on the couch and cracked open Leviticus, right? Yeah, this is going to be a good time. It might not be your favorite book of the Bible. Excuse me. But I I want us to see, though, that caring for the earth is not just something that we see in Genesis. In the Old Testament, the Israelites, God's chosen people, are reminded over and over and over again that the promised land that they're about to receive is a gift. God kind of makes this very, very clear. Remember who's providing this for you. Remember who's making the promise. Remember who's ultimately in charge. And so because of this, the citizens of Israel are not allowed to abuse or exploit the land because they realize they're ultimately responsible. They're caretakers. They're managers of an estate so we see God's concern for this creation and very specific commands he gives to his people. Look at Leviticus 25 here. It says, For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year, and don't store away the crops that grow uh, on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of of complete rest. That actually feels a bit different than what our culture often tells us, isn't it? In a culture that says, take, 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 I grew up in a big family, I'm used to that mantra. If you woke up late in my household, the cereal and the milk were gone. You learned to wake up early to take so that you had enough. But in a culture that says, take, take, take all that you can, God subtly says to his people, you will be a counter-culture. My people will look different, a peculiar people. So as managers of this estate, God also gives the Israelites this command in chapter 23. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Now you should know that when God ends a sentence with, I am the Lord your God, he's not reminding himself. (laughs) He hasn't forgotten who he is. This isn't some sort of weird amnesia moment with the Creator God. When he ends a command or a statement saying, I am the Lord your God, it is to drive to the heart, remember who is giving you this command. Remember why this is important. God literally commands his people to reserve a portion of their crops for the under-resourced and marginalized among them. So why, why does this matter? This matters because, again, he's reminding his people of who this ultimately belongs to. We're stewards. We're trustees. We're managers of an estate. When God says in Leviticus, the land is mine, he's echoing the cultural mandate from back in Genesis. Because creation belongs to God And we've been entrusted with it. God says to us, as he said from the beginning of time, to every image bearer, he says, this is my land, these are my crops, these are my people. Care for them as representatives on earth. So in light of Genesis, in light of Leviticus, I think there are a couple of practical things that we can take away from what it means to actually engage in this earth that's been gifted to us. Here's our first insight. Number one. Be intentional about caring for creation. Be intentional. This may, <clears throat> excuse me, this may seem like a no-brainer, but I don't think it's any coincidence that God provides a ton of detail in how to do this. It's actually pretty surprising how many of us have veered so far from that. When I was being shown this beautiful work of machinery, I knew that the owner cared deeply about it by the level of detail he went into explaining it. Be intentional about caring for creation. Number two, draw close to God through creation. Draw close to God through creation. I want you all to do something for me real quick. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine the most beautiful place that you've ever been. And you can't, you can't answer the kitchen. It has to be something really, but I, I just picture it, feel the environment, who were you there with? What did it look like? What did it smell like? Okay, now open your eyes. How many of you pictured like a trash heap when we just did that? Yeah, hopefully none of us. Here's the beautiful thing about being from Detroit is that everything is breathtaking to me. Anywhere I go is profoundly Beautiful. But when I did this exercise, there's actually one place that came to mind. Uh, A few years ago, I went on a trip to Ireland with my brothers, and here we are uh, sitting on a cliff here, and uh, we have a tradition in my family that whenever we travel, the only thing we're allowed to bring is a three-piece suit, and that's it. (laughs) That's a true story. (laughs) So whenever we travel, that's all we're allowed to bring, and so this was sort of our, my brother was getting married in a couple months, and so we saved up for two years to go to Ireland, and these are the Aran Islands, and this just took our breath away, and then course we did this to follow up there we are just tempting fate and then on our walk back we found a fence that we decided was our responsibility to climb over and so we found this little protrusion this cliff and you can see me standing on the edge of this cliff here um, and the next stops about here and then just a massive drop off and just standing on it didn't seem enough so then I decided to do this jump shot and being the good oldest brother, I convinced all of my other brothers to then join in. So my youngest brothers uh, on the trip, Sammy, he looks like he's lifting off. And then you can see Zach here is a little scared of heights, just holding his face in terror. Here's the reason that I show you that. That scenery, those cliffs, that environment would have been such a beautiful opportunity to just worship God for all he is, just to soak up his creation. And I did for about a minute. And then I decided to do some pretty stupid things. Began to go places that perhaps I shouldn't have and to treat the creation that God had given to us in ways that likely didn't honor him. How many of us have had those moments where something took our breath away, stands out in our minds, we tell the story, and then minutes later, Minutes later, we forget the God who provided it for us. So draw close to God through creation. The psalmist declares it this way. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaim God's handiwork. Think about that. The magnificence of creation demonstrates the reality of God and the brilliance of his creativity. Elsewhere, the psalmist says that creation literally will shout for joy. Creation is meant to be enjoyed in that way. And lastly, number three, care for the poor by caring for creation. Caring for the poor by caring for creation. Now this one may seem a bit peculiar, but if you live in a world where water comes in plastic bottles and food comes from the grocery store, it's easy to see the environment as merely decorative, isn't it? All of my needs are provided for. A lot of us, Have been able to use our material wealth to purchase several layers of insulation from the earth. But such is not the case for millions and millions of people right now. So let me ask how how many of you were grossed out by 34 billion gallons of raw sewage being dumped into Lake Michigan? The truth is, I I don't have to worry about that. I, I can afford to buy bottled water. What about the increased increased risk of cancer, lung disease, linked to chemicals from smokestacks? The truth is, I don't have to worry about that. I can afford to live away from these polluted areas. But many of the world's poor and marginalized don't have that privilege. They just don't. Many rely more directly on the environment to survive. Our consumption, our use of natural resources, Our output of waste, these are all things that not only affect creation that God made and declared good, they also directly affect other human beings that God made in his image and likeness. Creation belongs to God, and we've been entrusted with it. Okay, so at this point, you might be thinking, "Ah, all right, I'm convinced. What can I actually do? I'm glad you asked. In your program, it's actually 12 simple steps. You can actually leave on the way out if you want. They have a big cardboard piece that you can take with you and you can hang it on a mirror, put it in your car. I would encourage you to read those over as a family, as a small group in your community. And don't try to tackle all 12, but start somewhere. Start with one or two this week. Talk about it. Share about it. As we work to restore God's dream for creation, we have to start Somewhere in this list is a perfect place to start because you and I, we're creators and cultivators. We are artists and gardeners. And God doesn't simply say, here, i made this for you. Just go nuts and do whatever you want. He says, join me in the work of redeeming and restoring all creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, he looked out over all of it. He said, it's very good. There's no sickness Cancer, no disease. There's no drought, no hurricanes. There were no nine month winters followed by three months of the worst humidity you've ever experienced. The weather was so perfect it didn't even need clothes. The world we live in is far from the place He created to be. God is redeeming and restoring all things, and you and I get to join Him in that work because creation is. Belongs to God, and we've been entrusted with it. Let's pray, Father. Thank you that you you are a God that is not just off in the distance, that you are not far or apart, but you are close and intimate, and that you call us not simply just to experience your goodness, but to be participants. In it, God, we know that your dream for the world is far beyond what we could ever dream or imagine, and we, we want to be a part of that, God. So I pray that uh, even in this moment, you would give us strength, you would give us honesty, you, you would give us courage to look at the parts of our heart that maybe just don't care, and give us, God, give us people to speak words of life, to move us in the direction of being more in line with who you are. We thank you, God, for inviting us into that. May we be good stewards of what you've given us. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus.